Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Philippe Durand, partner with Auguste de Bouzy in France. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we are connecting with our member firm representing England and Wales, Travis Smith, LLP. Joining us on the program are Alex Fisher. Alex is a partner with Travis Smith. And also, we are joined by Moji Oyediran. Moji is a senior associate with Travis Smith. For the benefit of our assistance, I will just recall briefly the timeline of the Brexit. There was a referendum held in June 2016, formal exit with a transitional period in January 2020, and eventually the UK left for good the European Union at the end of 2020. Following this exit from the European Union, the UK immigration regime has gone through some quite significant changes, including the introduction of, of a new point-based immigration system. Business travelers between the UK and the rest of the world in this post-Brexit landscape need to comply with often quite nuanced requirements to avoid issues which we are going to talk about. More generally, for businesses looking at sending staff on secondment or a hiring a specialist or a senior staff to work in the UK, there are key considerations and visa requirements to factor in. Some of these will depend on the nature of the business, the nature of the role, and whether it is for a short-term posting or for permanent hires. Alex and Moji are going to run us through some points to think about and this new UK immigration regime when members of our assistance today, companies may be considering sending staff to the UK for a business trip or maybe to work there for a longer period of time. Alex and Moji, welcome to the program and how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, good to be here too. Thanks. Excellent. Welcome on the program. So I was just referring to business travelers. So let's start with business travelers. What are some of the key issues for business travelers now with this new regime in the UK? Maybe, Alex, would you like to pick up that question, please? Yeah, thanks, Philippe. So the starting point is that previously, so when the UK was part of the EU, there was a concept of freedom of movement between both the UK and the EU, and that allowed visa-free travel. That meant that UK passport holders could travel freely on business to the EU, and these free movement rules applied equally to EU passport holders coming to the UK too. Those rules no longer apply post-Brexit. But that said, we still do have visa-free travel for business purposes. And so it's still entirely possible, but there are key practical implications for business travelers to bear in mind now when they're traveling to the UK. So business travelers visiting the UK from the EU now need to comply with the same rules as visitors from elsewhere in the world, and they must meet our relevant UK entry requirements. The nature of the planned business activity to be undertaken is key in the analysis of whether or not the trip will qualify as a business visitor visit and also what the applicable requirements will be, particularly as our regime here in the UK specifies some restrictions on what permitted activities are for business visits to the UK. 
for example, generally productive work is not permitted. So that means a visitor can't come to the UK with the purpose of undertaking their normal day job remotely from the UK. That won't be permitted as a business visitor. Similarly, visitors can't provide temporary cover for a colleague, even if it's just for a day or for a week or two. Business visitors are really only permitted to undertake activities which fall within a specified list of permitted activities which is set by the UK authorities. And that's sort of some examples of what would be okay. So generally, meetings with UK-based colleagues, attending conferences, negotiating or signing contracts, or perhaps receiving a briefing on work which is to be undertaken wholly outside of the UK, that's all fine. That would be permitted for a business visitor. On top of that, though, so you have to get your reason for coming has to be permitted. You also would need to show evidence of a return travel booking, as well as evidence that you've got sufficient funds to sustain you whilst you were in the UK. Assuming you do all of that, so you have enough, you prove to the authorities that you have enough money to stay here, you fit within one of the permitted activities. In theory, you could come into the UK as a business visitor for up to six months. But in practice, usually these visits will be much shorter. So a couple of days or, or a week or two whilst you fulfill that business activity in the UK. Thank you, Alex, for those explanations. Now, I would like to turn to you, Moji. Let's try to move away from business travelers and business visits. And let's think about another scenario, which is when an employee is being transferred to work in the UK. What are then in that option, in that scenario, the key rules and requirements that would apply and that members of our audience today, Moji, would have to look at and take into account? Thanks, Philippe. Well, in that scenario, we'd normally be looking at a, a work visa, and that would be under the new points-based immigration regime. And that regime came into force and covers all non-UK nationals with effects from the 1st of January 2021. Now, the UK's regime is broken down into several different categories and subcategories, and the requirements under each of those in terms of the duration, the conditions, as well as the compliance requirements that the UK authorities need businesses to comply with, will differ. So the most appropriate route for each visa scenario will always need to be considered right at the outset. Um, now, for businesses, the, the most straightforward route will quite often be the employer-sponsored visa route though there are other routes to consider, which will very much depend on, on the circumstances. But with a lot of these scenarios, we're, we're often looking at the employer-sponsored category. And the key point about this category of visas is that it actually requires employers to already hold a sponsorship license in the UK regime, which they will need to then use to sponsor and sort of support the visas of their employees that they want to bring to the UK. Now, the sponsor license actually involves an application being made to the UK authorities, which needs to be supported by quite specific evidence of the company's UK operations, including things like evidencing that they have a, a UK bank account and that they're registered with the UK authorities for payroll purposes. Um, if they have an office premises in the UK, they might be able to show the lease for those premises. 
essentially they need at least as a minimum four documents that sort of support the operations in the UK. And the business also needs to show that it can actually meet the requirements set by the UK authorities for sponsorship. So that includes things like keeping records of the visas of the people they sponsor and ensuring that if there are any changes to their circumstances, that these are reported promptly. For example, if they were to move to a different office building, they would have to report that to the authorities. Now, once a license is granted, which is sort of the the first key hurdle, the sponsored work visa can then be progressed for for the individual coming across to the UK. And and we're usually looking at two key subcategories here. There are other categories, but for the purposes of, you know, the moment for for the most common ones we look at is the skilled worker visa route, which is broadly for long-term transfers from overseas or permanent hires to the UK. The other key route is the global business mobility or GBM route, senior or specialist worker. And that covers short-term transfers or secondments that are coming from linked overseas entities. We're finding actually that businesses are increasingly having to consider visas and sponsorship for the first time at moments because there's quite a lot of pressure on talent in many industries in the UK. And so it's it's something that employers are having to look at anew. And actually the requirements for sponsored visas are so specific and can be quite nuanced. So it's well worth taking advice where needed to ensure compliance. Very, very interesting. The, what you just said, Moji, reminded me about what we saw in the media following Brexit, i.e. the fact that there was a strong shortage of workforce in certain industries because of Brexit, which, which, which was a bit ironical. And I forgot to stress my, in my introduction that immigration was a key issue in the political debate surrounding Brexit. But that's that's not today's podcast subject matter, but I found it very interesting. So based on what you just said, Alex and Moji, we do understand at this stage that we've got business travels, which is more like a temporary. We've got all the hurdles and, and steps you talked about, Moji, for people who would be hired in a more permanent manner in the UK. Now, I would like to turn to you, Alex, and let's try to be practical. If an employer in our audience today would have to pick up and choose between these two routes and choose one over the other, and and don't tell me that you should turn to a UK solicitor to retain advice, please answer that question. What would be the, the specific pros and cons that an employer, any employer would need to to take into account in, in that analysis between the two options you just described? Yeah, thanks, Philippe. You've already preempted my plug for Travis Smith employment advice and business immigration advice there. But you're right, there are very specific requirements to be met under each category, which may affect the decision on which route might be the best in the particular scenario that you're dealing with. For example, the the employee is going to need to meet certain requirements in respect of their skill level, their English language ability, and also salary minimum thresholds. So if we take that skill level requirement first, the role to be sponsored needs to meet a minimum skill level. And that's broadly going to be either A-level standard for a skilled worker visa. And A-level is the, the qualification at the end of senior school in the UK, or graduate level qualification for the global business mobility senior or specialist worker visa which Moji mentioned. 
for the skilled worker route, the individual also needs to demonstrate that their English language skills meet a minimum level. That English language requirement, though, is only relevant for the skilled worker visa. It's not relevant for the global business mobility visa that Moji mentioned. So there's a difference there, which might be relevant depending upon the, the employee that you're trying to bring over. On the salary threshold, this is relevant for both those categories. So it will depend on the job role that the employee is going for. Um, so there will be a, a minimum salary threshold they have to meet. There's also a job shortage list that we have in the UK. So certain jobs where resourcing is very much needed in the UK are on the list, which means that you, there could be a much lower salary threshold required for that role. Also relevant would be whether the candidate holds a relevant PhD or, or is a recent graduate. That can be another thing which you need to look at depending upon the visa category. Additionally, if you're looking at the global business mobility visa, the individual must have already worked for a linked entity outside of the UK for at least 12 months or must be paid at least £73,900 or more. So that's a requirement for that visa route, whereas there's no requirement under the skilled worker route for the individual to have been employed previously elsewhere. So you can use that for a completely new hire. The other key difference between the two visa types is that the global business mobility visa is a temporary route. So there's a cap effectively of up to five years in any six-year period. It's not a route to get the right to live and work in the UK permanently. Whereas the skilled worker visa does allow you to do that once you've been in the UK for five years or more, you can then apply to stay here permanently. Very good. That's very clear. Thank you for making the effort. And unlike what I said, of course, some extra advice may still be needed. And of course, members of our audience today will be happy to get back to you. Now, if we, and that will be my last question today, by the way, if we try to look at sanctions, it might be a more darker discussion, but I think we need to go through that. Moji, could you please go through with us about the situation where you would fail to comply with those immigration regime requirements. What would that mean in practice for candidates, for uh, companies who would not be complying with the, all the rules you and Alex have been talking about today? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's, it's often one we have to keep in mind at all times because actually immigration compliance is actually a, a key bedrock of the UK's regime and the authorities have the ability to come in and audit businesses so they can come in and sort of do a spot check to check how you know a business is doing, assess their compliance. So we always sort of in the back of our minds when we're looking at immigration, looking at that as well. So because if there are compliance failings and, and that's discovered as part of a, a spot check, the UK authorities can, where a business holds a sponsor license. So we talked about that being one of the key first steps for a business to be able to sponsor visas for employees in the UK. If there are failings in how they've managed that license, that license, the sponsor license could actually be taken away, revoked if there are serious failings. Um, there could also be civil penalties imposed, so essentially fines if people are found to be working without the right paperwork. So say if somebody's come in and they they 
you know, they they should have got a work visa, but they actually just got, uh, you know, they just came in as a visitor. But actually the work they're doing, they're not doing meetings, they're working. That could leave the business exposed to a potential fine. And, you know, the very end of the scale, there could be criminal liability for illegal working. So it's always important to plan ahead and understand the applicable regime when going into this. The other element to to also factor in is that there could also be issues at the border. So if, again, where somebody's coming across and they haven't quite got the right paperwork that, you know, Alex mentioned about sort of being aware of the requirement to show the return ticket, for example, and and other, other elements. If there's issues that are identified there, they could face a grilling at the border, or in the worst case scenario, they could be refused entry, and and that would result in sort of disruption to their meetings or or, or the business, depending on what the individual was coming across to do. So whilst the the system is quite nuanced and different since Brexit, we do have to kind of bear that all in mind to avoid issues. Although I'm not a French immigration expert, I do mostly employment law, I do see in those sanctions quite a few similarities with what we have in France and also with the general regime you, Moji, and Alex have described for uh, for us today. So thank you, Alex and Moji. It's been a very interesting discussion today, especially I think it's been helpful for uh, candidate employers or companies who might be considering sending staff to the UK for a business trip, business travelers we talked about, or to work in your country for a longer period of time. So thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, thanks, Philippe. You're quite welcome. So if you would like to connect with Alex and Moji, please click on their bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars download white papers and on-demand content from our online library. Or you could also access the ELA's exclusive global employer handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Philippe Durand. Thanks for listening.